Hello, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah with the Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Last time we talked about Jade, the golden retriever, and his struggles with arousal in the agility environment. And today is part one of my next series, which is all about a very special dog. Um, he's a German Shepherd, and his name is Kevin. Kevin's struggles include sound phobia, crippling anxiety, neophobia, which is just kind of a general fear of anything new. And on top of all of that, Kevin is a crossover dog. Um, And a crossover dog is kind of the dog that makes a crossover dog trainer. Um, And a crossover trainer is somebody who has transitioned away from more traditional methods that use aversive tools, um, and towards more modern methods like uh, clicker training. So Kevin's mom, his human, has transitioned, has crossed over, and she did so while training Kevin. So he's a crossover dog. Um, His story is absolutely one of my favorites. So let's get started. It all goes like this. I was teaching a competitive obedience class. Um, And my obedience training style is... Innovative, it's fun, it's exciting. It uses smart dog training to get the behaviors trained for competitive obedience. It always takes the dog's experience in mind because that's kind of a cornerstone of what I do. And Kevin's owner, Patty, was referred to the class by another client of mine because she took a puppy kindergarten class with my client and said she wanted to do competitive obedience, told my client how she was training, which was, you know, with a choke chain, very old school, and said her dog was shutting down. And so my client, um, who's also a good friend of mine, said, you know, you really should sign up for this class with Sarah. So at the time, Kevin was six months old and um, my friend just said, hey, I'm sending somebody over. She's got a six-month-old German Shepherd. She's ready to learn. I said, great. And I'm starting the class. People are coming in. It's the first night, so people are filling out paperwork. Um, I've never met Patty before, so she comes in. And, you know, I was expecting a certain picture, and that's not the picture that walked in. So she walks in. She's got the dog on one of those little veterinary slip leads. Um, that are, you know, free and just they're sitting around everywhere in in veterinary offices. That's what the dog's wearing. And he's walking perfectly next to her very calmly. Um, And she walks into the training building. I hand her the paperwork. She asks him to lie down and stay in the corner. And then she proceeds to fill out the paperwork and he lies there perfectly. The other thing that I didn't expect that was part of this picture is Kevin's color. When we picture a German Shepherd, I think most of us picture a classic um, black and tan dog, or maybe a sable-colored dog, or maybe even a black dog, but Kevin is white. He's solid white. And so a lot of these things were just kind of surprising to me, but fine. And when she was done with the paperwork, she handed it back to me, and I said, how old did you say he was? Because I thought that my friend had said the dog was six months old, but this dog was acting, you know, not like any six-month-old puppies I had ever known. Um, And she said, he's six months. And I immediately knew 
that we really had a lot of work to do. <laughs> um, because Kevin was, you know, appeared to be trained to the naked eye, right? But he really wasn't doing anything. Um, and that's, you know, some one of the bigger problems with more old school methods of dog training is they really just reduce behavior overall. They make the dogs do less. And the way that I train is always about making the dog do more, making the dog, asking the dog to do something. Um, it's about the dog behaving a lot. So we never want to squash behavior. Um, fast forward through the class, which Patty struggled with. She enjoyed it. She had a really good time. But there were a lot of things that she couldn't get Kevin to do that we were doing in the class. Um, she couldn't really get him to play with her. She didn't really understand why I wanted her to play with him or, you know, what that could have to do with competitive obedience. But basically, I really realized that, you know, she wanted to do competitive obedience. We needed some private lessons because we needed to start to see eye to eye on some things. So... Through that conversation, it comes out that, you know, Patty's a veterinarian and she owns a clinic that has a space that we can do some lessons in, um, as well as, you know, she's got a lovely large property that's got a lot of space for us to do lessons. So we started meeting every week. Um, being a veterinarian, I was, you know, obviously excited to have her on board, always excited to have other dog professionals on board. But uh, the reason she didn't tell me in the first place is because she always wants dog trainers to treat her like a normal client so that she can see, you know, who they really are so that maybe she can, you know, give, give good referrals for her client's house. So it made sense to me that I didn't know that until then. Um, so we're sitting around, we're having one of our first private lessons. And I asked Patty what kind of games she plays with Kevin. And she's really dumbfounded. And this is a very intelligent woman who doesn't know how to answer my question. And which tells me that there's something wrong with the question, not, uh, not the learner. And so finally I got to it. Finally understood the problem, which was that, you know, Patty looked me in the eye very seriously told me that pack leaders do not play. And again, I became so aware of how much work there was to do because really when we're training a dog for a competitive sport, we need to not think of ourselves within a pack hierarchy with this dog. We are a partner with this dog. We're on a team with this dog. This is not a, you know, I'm, I'm dominant, you're submissive relationship. This is a symbiotic relationship. And so, um, we started to teach her how to play and we started to teach Kevin how to play and we got rid of the choke chain and we got rid of the slip lead and we really started to dig deep into what was going on with Kevin. And because he was very, very obedient, but he was a shell of a dog and he was very scared. Um, he was afraid all the time. He was really chronically afraid of anything new, anything noisy, anything that was visually different. And I started to see as I spent more and more time with Patty and with Kevin that he was in a constant, like the somewhat constant state of startle. Um, 
none of that had anything to do with the fact that Patty wasn't playing with him. They just were both kind of existing at the same time. I think that Kevin's genetics largely set him up to be fearful. Um, but having aversive equipment and tools being used on him wasn't helping, uh, certainly. And so just some details about, and a little side note, because a lot of people wonder why I even continued working with Patty, and Patty has this question herself. Typically, a person whose values and ideas about dog training, you know, when, when their values are so far away from mine, and we have no starting ground, we have no current alignment in our thoughts, Usually, I refer those people out. Um, usually, that's not a project that I want to take on. Reason being, um, I did that for a long time and I'm tired of it. <laughs> um, I really like to teach people who start out on the same page. Now, from there, I typically ask my clients to go much deeper into their understanding of dogs and into their understanding of these training tools and methods. Um, but I like to start out in a place where people are certainly not saying phrases like pack leaders don't play. Um, but for some reason, I had a connection to Patty and I had a connection to Kevin and I wanted to be around them. And I wanted to be working with them. And so I did. That's one of those things that when your gut, when your intuition tells you to go with something, it's a good idea to go with it. Um, and more on that later. So the, the nitty gritty, the details about Kevin's behavior are, he was sound sensitive. So anytime allowed, um, anytime, you, if you dropped something that would freak him out, if, um, anything was making a clanging noise or anything like that, that was a problem. Garbage trucks really bothered him. Skateboards bothered him. Bicycles. Um, particularly, there's a dumpster uh, behind Patty's clinic in an alleyway. Um, and when the trash truck would come, you know, that was doomsday for Kevin. That was really upsetting to him if he happened to be outside at the time. And... He was also, and this is the big one that really bothered Patty, that really had us start to get very deep down into what's going on with Kevin. He's very much afraid of strangers. So he was afraid of new people. And it did not matter if they were, you know, men, women, children. He was afraid of all of them. Um, We're going to get into some details on what we did to change that. But one of the one of the big reasons is that Pat is that sorry Kevin is this big striking solid white dog um he's big he's beautiful and people have usually not seen a dog like him and so chronically people would always want to approach him anytime Patty had him in public I think you know my best guess is that he went through a very normal developmental fear period and during that time a lot of people pet him who he didn't want to have touching him. And because again, you know, Patty's way of dealing with the fact that he was afraid was 
very different from what I would have a person do. She would pretty much just, you know, she'd have him on a leash. She'd have him standing next to me. She would um, hold his collar, tell him he was fine. And a person, you know, would reach out, maybe let him sniff their hand, maybe touch him. And if he would allow the touching, she would allow the touching. And that did not go on for very long, but it went on for long enough that he learned, you know, I don't want people to come up to me and I have no power over them coming up to me. And that's, you know, that's a big, big deal of what we did with Kevin is we gave him the power. That is something we're going to talk about over the course of these episodes. Um, and so, so we got started. So we taught Patty how to, what I call jump in the pool. Um, she, like I said, she got rid of all those aversive tools. She started to give Kevin a lot more freedom. She started to see that Kevin gets to have a choice in all things. And that is certainly not where she comes from in dog training. Um, and in the episode where I interview and talk to Patty, I'm going to have her tell you guys about her dog training background because it's, it's very interesting. And so teaching her to let Kevin have the power was a big, big deal. But we got going with um, what I do first with everybody, which is what I call the four steps to behavioral wellness. And those are exercise, diet, communication, and enrichment. And so with exercise, right off the bat, Patty's doing a good job here. She lives on a farm. There's a lot of open space. And Kevin was already doing a lot of off-leash running every single day. He was rarely confined to a leash. He was rarely even confined to a fence. Um, and so he he did a ton of off-leash running every day. Um, I encouraged her, though, to take him other places and let him do that. And so she did. And what we found out is that she'd show up somewhere, take his leash off, and he just wouldn't go very far from her at first. Um, and very quickly over the course of, you know, us working together, he became very bold and he would go very far away um, when they were out and about in the world, just letting him run. So this is the, this is one where Patty was hitting this out of the park to begin with. And I just added a few more things. So Kevin had a very good dog life as far as exercise is concerned. Food is a big one for Kevin. Um, he was eating, you know, one of your standard veterinary recommended dry kibble diets. And as you guys know, if you read my stuff or you look at my podcast, I, I like fresh food diets for dogs. And the first time that I talked to Patty about a, a raw fresh food diet, she gave me a very standard answer for a veterinarian, um, which is very understandable based on how they're trained in nutrition, um, that she said, you know, no, I would never feed my dog a raw diet and I would never recommend anybody feed their dog a raw diet. And I respect that and I respected her professional opinion on that. And so I didn't come back to this subject with her for several months. Instead, I just had her feeding more, um, we're going to go into this enrichment piece, feeding, trying to feed more out of puzzle toys and stuff like that. But the truth was, Kevin wasn't that into food. 
And so getting him to eat out of the bowl was kind of a task enough. And if she put it in a puzzle toy, he might bat it around a few times and get a couple of kibbles out. But he really was getting skinny and was not eating enough. So um, we we kind of got to that later. But for several months, I put the food piece on hold. Meanwhile, added the communication piece, which was a huge part of Patty's transformation. Um, she and I actually early, early on in working together, um, as well as my friend who originally referred her to me, all went and saw Kathy Sadeo when she spoke in Denver several years ago, uh, when the book, when Kathy's book, Plenty in Life is Free, first came out. She did kind of a tour and uh, talked about the topics in the book, and we went. And one of the things that Kathy talks about in the book is having this system of communication where you mark and reinforce behaviors in your dogs all day long. She calls it SMART times 50. SMART is an acronym. It stands for see, mark, and reinforce training. Um, And then times 50 just means your goal is 50 times a day. 50 times a day you're feeding the dog. And it's SMART, it's sharp, and it's very applicable, and I've been using it with clients ever since. I love it. Patty really took it to heart because Patty loves rules. And so if you tell her 50 times a day, this needs to happen, it will happen 50 times a day. And it did. And it did right off the bat. And this was a big transformation for her and Kevin. Just she would notice him doing something smart. She'd say good. She'd give him a piece of kibble. Um, (laughs) We've got a little barking happening on the podcast. Like that's never happened in my house before. Uh, (laughs) Um... And so, as I was saying, Patty got right in there with Smart Times 50. She did that immediately. That changed Kevin's behavior. But more importantly, that changed Patty's behavior. Um, That really changed how Patty sees life with dogs. It was a big transformation for her. And then started to talk to her about not correcting Kevin, um, And she was at a point where she was not physically correcting him, but she certainly would verbally tell him, you know, I don't think so. Stop doing that multiple times a day. And having her transform in that area was pivotal also. So getting her to ask him to do something else and then reinforce him for that was a big part of the communication piece. Um, That was a big part of her transformation as well. For enrichment, uh, Kevin already had such a wonderfully enriched life where he would, you know, run around on the farm and, you know, eat horse poop and chase other dogs. That was all wonderful. He also went to work with Patty, and he still does every day at the clinic. Um, And, you know, we certainly added some puzzle toys, but he really didn't use the puzzle toys until later. Um, And so coming back to that food piece... Several months in, I'm going to say even possibly about a year in with uh, working with Patty, we had another conversation about the raw diet and she had done, she had done a lot of research. She had spoken to colleagues and she had arrived at the conclusion that um, a fresh food diet probably was actually best for a dog. But she was afraid, rightfully so. 
Um, and so literally that day we went to the grocery store. I got her dog food for the week and I said, this is what you're going to feed him. This is exactly how you're going to do it. And that's what she did. And something really miraculous happened and I have never seen a transformation that was this enormous before with diet but because of Kevin, I always talk about diet with people. He actually experienced the biggest relief from his chronic anxiety after switching to this raw diet. Um, the biggest relief that he'd experienced based on anything else that we had done. So he immediately, you know, just little changes occurred within days. Like, he always used to lie um, on the floor in the cab of Patty's truck when she was driving. And suddenly he felt like he could ride on the, on the seat and look out the window. Um, he didn't startle at noises. He was, I mean, he was transformed. And we'll have Patty talk about that when I interview her a little bit more in depth, but it was an enormous transition for this dog and a difficult transition for Patty because of her background. Um, and so that warrants a lot more discussion, but Kevin's food changed, the communication system changed, his enrichment levels and his exercise levels were already high. We just kind of tweaked them a little bit. Um, and that's how we started. And so I'm really looking forward to talking about Kevin more as we go. We, uh, next time I'm going to talk about some of the actual behavior modification that we did. A lot of that involving Patty's behavior and not Kevin, but we're going to talk about some details on a dog that was living with chronic anxiety and just, just kind of a low level fear all the time next time. And then, um, in episode three, we'll finally get to talk to Patty and hear her side of the story. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So if you've got questions, shoot them over to me at cogdogradio at gmail.com. And I hope you'll tune in and listen next time. Bye guys.